This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, very excited to be back here in studio with Ash Adams, photojournalist. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm very excited to do the podcast with you. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We, we have to kind of go back six years plus, go back in time and talk about how we met, which is, I think, a great story. And then I want to talk about you and your travels and being a photojournalist. It's pretty, we're talking before the podcast started. I think we have some good things to discuss about journalism and specifically photojournalism, so... But we met during the infamous kind of speedo gate situation. Yeah. Um, there was this Huff, Huffington Post article that was written about the speedo gate. And I think if people are listening, they know there was a controversy with Bill Walker and me and a commission in the speedo, and it became this big, like, national topic. So we had a common, fr- you know, we knew somebody in common, and they reached out to you, and they knew me. And then let's just kind of, what's your memory of that? Because the picture you took, it's still, it's still on my Twitter. I still use it. It's me in the suit, you know, in downtown. It's... It's a great picture. My memory of it was that I um, I got a text. I started to look through what was already being said about it. And it was just the kind of story that um, it just made sense for the moment of time. Like it felt like something that um, we should push out there a little bit bigger because it is interesting the, the ways in which our personal lives and our professional lives have now collided with social media mm-hmm. so and this was early 2015 so this was mm-hmm. before a lot of the current stuff you know the cancel culture or the you know, what do we, you know when someone does something we have to hit them but it was kind of starting at that point i feel like i mean i i bet it was starting like before that but i but like i do think that a lot of us were even just figuring out what instagram was still even in my field in 2015 so i think we were still like um less aware of the effect that social media was having on us personally and also um, how inextricably linked our personal selves would be with our professional selves. Um, But yeah, so that, it seemed like a good story. Um, I was really too busy to write it at the time, um, but I wanted to be a part of it in some way. So I was like, I will make the photo. I will write out, like reach out to one of the smartest people writers that I know in New York and, um, who, that, that, and that's Alyssa Fleck. And it's Alyssa Fleck. And we're still, I'm still friends with her on Facebook and I, I've never met her. I want to meet her. She seems awesome. She's one of the most spectacular people and I have not seen her in so many years. Um, but just following her career and her writing and having known her at all and having been friends with her in that capacity, it's just, um, I don't know. She's just incredible, and I knew she would do the story justice, and she did. Um, so and it was in the Huffington Post too. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a when it came. So just a quick background: I was put on this commission by Governor Walker and somebody in the legislature who who were, were cool now, but they they used my pics that I posted of me that were not like secret pic. They were Facebook pictures of me in a speedo in Vegas with women that I would go to Vegas and and I was there in like 2012 or 13. I had this epiphany. 
because I'm the kind of the guy who takes the, wears a speedo and takes the picture. I was like, I should just put these out there myself. So they're out there. So nobody can be like, we have a picture of you and a speedo with women, you know, and no, nobody really thought much of it. Then, then this commission thing happens. I ended up doing the storied Arctic entries, which was great, but it was much later, but, but it, you know, it was a commission on judicial conduct, which I thought was a weird one. It was the one I didn't even ask to be on. And then I look it up and I'm like, oh, that's a, that's, that's a pretty big one. That's adjudicates, adjudicates complaints against judges. My former rival, Liesl McGuire, was chair of the Judiciary Committee. I knew something was probably going to happen. They said, no big deal. Then a couple of days later, they called me. It is a big deal. I said, well, it's already out there. Uh, remember Alexandra Gut- Gutierrez? Mm-hmm. She tweeted out, who's bringing popcorn to Jeff Landfield's confirmation hearing? So at that point, it was like out there. So I couldn't just say I'm not, I'm, you know, back down. And then they took me off and then it blew up. And it was all, and then they called me, the Walker people called me a misogynist. And everybody was kind of like, well, what did he do? And that's where you, that's where you, I guess, came in and got with Alyssa. And then they did this, and there was many more stories, but I think hers was like the best one by far. She's just so solid. She did such a good job. So I remember we met downtown and you were like, just wear whatever, wear you know, I was like, what should I wear? You're like, where would, do you? And, and we did the, they have the picture that I've, I've shared a lot, but it's me and fourth Avenue with the, you know, the background of the building, the, the, the now it's the cop, you know, the police building, but it was, um, such a good picture. I, yeah, I liked making that photo. I think like I, um, one, I don't like to direct what people wear most of the time, but that's like journalism. Um, there are portraits that you try to direct, but um, also the LIO, that building was this like big controversy mm-hmm. downtown at the time. So I felt like not only was it visually pleasing, but I just wanted like there to be some sort of like nod to the fact that we're kind of surrounded by controversy all the time. So, Ooh, I, that's um, a good, yeah. Cause at the time the Taj Mahawker, they called it with, with Mike Hawker and you know, they spent all this money on this renovation quote unquote. And it was, it was a new building and now, you know, the whole thing, that was a big one. It's just like, what kind of controversies are we, um, do we allow? And what kind of controversies do we try to like dismiss? Anyways, that was what went into that. So, so, so do you think today, if, if I was appointed to a commission as then I was kind of, I'd run for office before, but I was basically an unknown person. If that was the same situation, do you think, I can't imagine pictures of somebody in Vegas and Speedo would even register today, like anywhere. I, you know, and I think it's, I think it's, I think it depends on who you are. And honestly, this ends up becoming a demographic issue. I think women, like if, like, I don't think women still could do something like that. Like if they were running for office and they had like topless photos of themselves somewhere. Or like they with had, a bunch like, of dudes. Yeah. Like I, so I think like it depends on, I, but, but, and but, you but, agree with but that, But Melania right? like, Trump, right. she wasn't running for office, but she was the wife of a, you know, Trump. she was racy pictures of her. Out right. there, I mean, they're totally. old pictures, but still, they're people see. It's funny how the conservatives kind of were didn't like the the religious conservatives seem to just kind of be like, it's great, no problem. But like, imagine like AOC, yes, do, like I, she danced in college, and like people like called her out on it, and it's like a super tasteful <laughs> dance that she's doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think it comes down to. Like people will weaponize what they can when they are looking for power. So if you were running against somebody that um, wanted to swing it that way, I think they still could like be like, well, look at him. He's a party dude and he's wearing a Speedo. I don't think that that's like 
the metric for how we should decide who's like in power and who's doing things. Um, so I would, I would still think it's weird if someone, uh, it just seems like things have gotten so crazy in this country politically that, that, and I think this is kind of a Trump phenomenon where in the past somebody would do something wrong and, and I don't want to get into like what, you know, Trump did good or bad, but like he would do things that were, that were historically bad, but he would just come out and say it. So if people are confused, like, well, if he's saying it, it can't be, it can't be bad. You just say what you just say what you're doing, even if it's wrong. And, <laughs> and it's a really weird time we're in. I'm, I'm, we could talk about the divide in this country later if you want, but it's, it's a really scary kind of, I'm reading this book now, Twilight of Democracy by Ann Applebaum. Cool. Who uh, lived in Poland for a long time. And it's kind of about this authoritarian rise in many countries, including this one. And it's really, um different conversation, but it's, things have changed a lot since 2015. I think that's true. I think things are changing. Um, I think there's just an absolute phenomenon happening right now and people will later observe that. And it has to do with information and with how much information we have and, um, how information is used. Like, I think that is like, um, central to a lot of the changes that we're seeing and the conflicts that we're currently seeing. So, and how, and how good the information is or how, how bad it is in a lot of cases and how people know, like what, you know what I mean? It's like, there's so it, there's just so much stimuli at this point. Well, this book I'm reading, you know, they talk a lot about Boris Johnson and this group he was in in college with David Cameron and some other European politicians, this kind of fraternity. And anyways, he graduates and some of them went on to do different things. And he was in Brussels reporting, you know, before he was prime minister and his whole focus was like was was the EU and the common market and basically just stirring up, ginning up all this stuff about the EU and, and how it was hurting Britain. And most of it was just bullshit. But it got people like spun up. And this was going on for years and years and years. And it, it was it was really kind of one of the precipita precipitators of Brexit and getting people, you know, spun up on something that's not even really truthful all the, all the time. And it's it's just you can get so much information now pretty much everywhere. You, you can literally read something, publications that just reinforce your ideas 24-7. TV, online, right? I mean, podcasts, all of it. Totally. We're all in echo chambers all the time. And anybody who says they aren't, like, is definitely in one. <laughs> yes. Probably more than, or so than. Yes. <laughs> so I want to talk um, about you. So you're, you're a photojournalist and you've been, you've been freelancing for a long, a long time, right? Yeah. So um, I went totally freelance in 2009. Um, so that's what now? Almost 13 years? Um, no, 12. Whoa, that's my math. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so, when, it's, when it's odd, it's harder because you got to go 9, yeah, exactly. 19. I was like, if it's 10, <laughs> it'd be. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, so, you know, 12, 12 13 um, years. And that was a decision. I mean, I'm not supposed to be in an office. And I knew that early on in my career. Um, and I... Um, I think I was just really comfortable being poor and <laughs> working really hard on the early side of it. Um, cause early freelancing is always going to be financially challenging, which is why a ton of people that do what I do just marry architects or something. They marry people that have, <laughs> are taking care of stuff. That's for them. a good idea. It's, I mean, it was, um, I, for anyone who on this doesn't know, uh, I had married someone who does exactly what I do. Um, and so we would look at each other and be like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, why and, did and we? 09 is at the big peak of the crash, the crisis. Yeah. 
And so it's like, I mean, we were just like, what are we doing? Why didn't we marry up? <laughs> like, <laughs> anyways. Um, well, you got to, you know, yeah. love who you love, right? You love who you love. And also like, um, anyways, it, so that made, that made sense for me. And um, I've been in Alaska now since 2011 and I, um, so I've mostly been based here. I've been mostly in the Northern regions and like Canada and the U.S. Where are you from? Cleveland. Can you hear it? Oh, yeah. Like a-, <laughs> a, little, a little bit. Yeah, my parents are from Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> no, Cleveland's been like totally, uh, what's the word, not renovated. It's been totally revamped, right? I mean, I've, I've read articles about these apartments in Cleveland that are selling for, because they've done so much work on, on the city. Cleveland has a lot of soul. I will always uh, love it and respect it as a place. And I think it's... Um, it's got this like gritty um, feeling, but um, and it's an honest city. Like people are honest, but they're also they still have that Midwestern like kindness and like heart of the matter about them. It's it's not dissimilar to how people interact in Anchorage. To be honest with one this another, is, this is we would consider that Rust, Rust Belt, right? Is that no? Because clip? it's like because you're in Northeast Ohio, it's like it is Rust Belt, but it's kind of got this like Eastern East Coast influence, but it's still like a Midwestern city. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I have to ask. This is just came up in my mind. What What do you think about the Indians? Uh, I mean, so because they're changing the name now. This, I this know. is the last year. I know. So. We, no, I can really hear the accent. You just oh, oh sorry. So, I, when you said so, I could really hear it then. <laughs> oh my god, I'll try to I'll try I, to tone it back. I love um, it. No, I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, but so, like ever since I was really young and in elementary school, it was a conversation that the name of our team was offensive to people, and so. Um, a good friend of mine, Daniela Zalkman, had done um, a body of work about kind of how Ohio has the most native-themed teams, like in terms of its, like, elementary schools, like high schools, um, all mm-hmm. over. And so they're all kind of offensive names. And um, there were people quoted in there being like, no one's even talked about it. And I was like, well, like, actually, like, I heard it my whole life that everybody was like, this is a bad, this is a bad idea. This is a bad name. We should change it. It's just like... You know, it makes indigenous people into a joke. And at that time, I didn't know any indigenous people. I knew nothing about native culture, but it's still just like, you know, there were people that would tell you to sit Indian style too. And like, that's something that uh, how many people, you know, will hear that even today and be like, not think that that's like when I was a kid, I mean, Indian giver was a thing people said all the time. Same. Like, it's like, I grew up in New Mexico, which was, you know, a lot of Native Americans there. Right. So you would actually have, anyway. So I feel like even without reference, like we knew that that was not a great name and there are people that i know that will cling to it no matter what like major league i mean you know right it's so iconic right well and like the redskins and you know like who else you know what i mean so Um, they change they're the football team now right Mm -hmm. so what about the like the braves oh i mean i don't know did they change no like i'm not up i'm not up to date on the braves but so 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 how much of this and i I just want to ask because because i think you're you're probably somebody that has a really nuanced answer here. I think it's fair to say some of these names, they aren't, they're, I mean, they're, they aren't great, but it's also, I think people are getting so mad at this kind of culture wars and, and, and everything has to be, if you don't accept this and something, you know, something's wrong with you and you're a racist or you're a sexist. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's dividing. Th- th- people are getting so angry about some of the stuff coming from the left even though I think it's fair to say, look, I think it's, it's, you know, these names aren't great, but you know, what, what, I guess, what do you, 
with those two things said, what do you, I mean, how do you, where do you fall on, fall on that? I mean, I think, um, so, and just, just to speak bluntly, like I, I do not fall like, I think if anyone talked to me, they would just know, like, I'm kind of a socially liberal person. Um, I don't like to judge people's choices for one, for them. So it, it puts me in a camp already. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, far left. Oh, what is the word that I recently used with somebody, but there's these like monster, monster Karen syndrome. Like, I mean, there's just like the far left can be like as, woke warriors or, yeah. I mean, it's as toxic as the far right can be. Like, I think when people stop talking to each other, like humans that all have their individual universes inside of them, they don't make any progress or the progress they make, um, comes with more casualties than anyone would expect. So, to me, it's like, okay, if we're going to talk about the name for something and why that's sensitive, it's like, it has to be, it, it has to, we have to already assume that there are people that have no like connection with native culture whatsoever, because I didn't when I lived in Cleveland, um, like none, you know, and so it just seems like a joke and, you know, to many people there. Um, and when you look at like the the hierarchical structures that we live in and who benefits and who really doesn't, that's when you start to like break it down and be like, it's actually like, it's actually harmful to like, um, margin further, like marginalized groups or make them into this one thing, but then also like know that they are still suffering from, you know, colonialism mm-hmm. and, and assimilation is very visible now. And it's, but it's like there's bits of disenfranchisement and, you know, um, and, think, and with like, okay, and so to even bring this out further, like with women, rape culture is alive and well, and it's like, even like those small things when people are like, well, people are being kind of too sensitive. I'm like, if if someone, if someone just believes women, like I'm already like on their team, because I'm like, that's what they need at this point. And like the, the micro conversations are impactful if your audience is already somebody that you know can like receive that. If they're not, that micro conversation is not going to happen without a bigger macro picture. So I guess like to answer your question, I think you need to know your audience and like just aggressively picking someone apart for any reason will not result in what you want. Like ever. I think, I think for some <laughs> you know? people, they're, they're, whether it's a you know t- t- name of a team or some some comp comedian or whatever, it's 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 not so much about the issue; it's about the win. You know, and, and I think it's great to discuss issues, you know, have two people sit or five, whatever people sit down and discuss something. But when it just becomes about a win or getting someone or some company or some organization to do something in response to like the mob. And that's what I think drives people nuts when it's when it's less about the issue and more about the win. And I feel like that's obviously both sides are left and right. And all, you know, they're both guilty of. But but the from the progressive end on some of the, the culture stuff that that's, they're the kind of, I mean, the, the rights, you know, they, they want to ban abortion maybe, or they want to do things like that. They have kind of realer, may, maybe impacts on people. You see what I'm saying? I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, I think, I think it's just like, like I said, you have to know your audience and know what they're going to see and what they're not. If, um, I mean, you can look at a really tangible, exa- two tangible examples of like Standing Rock and the Oregon standoff that both happened so close to one another. Mm-hmm, yeah. And like what protesters 
get hit way harder and which ones can actually be armed and not be that, you know, <laughs> penalized for it. It's like when you look at like stuff like that, you're like, like the, bun- the Bundys, you know? Yeah. Like when, when you look at like um, inequality on these macro levels, like I, I, I just feel like there are a lot of people that aren't even there yet to have these micro conversations and they can start, we, we can all grow and progress and become more like inclusive and stuff like that. But I think when people, there's already a level of privilege that's wrapped up in someone's ability to even do that. And I think we have to acknowledge that also. There are people that can't possibly, like how many places uh, are women like, we have no idea what Me Too is. Like we have no, you know what I mean? There's, it's not, and they're in the most danger. So it's like, I guess, I guess with everything, I feel like the way you communicate and knowing your audience and respecting that person and actually respecting them, which is the thing that um, the internet has made kind of a divide where we don't have to actually respect them. We can be our worst selves because there's not any consequences now. Well, I, I've, <laughs> so. I've, I've, been, I've been saying this for a long time. Some of the people that are the meanest, nastiest on the internet, when you see them in real life, they're the nicest people. It's really strange. <laughs> it's just it's just bizarre. I mean, there's the anonymous ones. Obviously, you don't know who they are, but there's people that are so nasty and mean and horrible even to me. And then you see them and they're, they're like cupcakes. I mean, there's really nice people. Right. And, and it's just this whole thing with, you know, the, the, the interface between the keyboard or the, or the phone and whoever you're talking to and not, you know, 90% of the time you never see maybe more than that. You never see those people. Right. And it's just gotten so, it's gotten so bad everybody's feeling a lot of pain right now, I think. Um, and I think it's, um, I think everyone is doing everything that they're doing imperfectly. And that most people, this is the other thing people forget. I think most people think they are doing the right thing and it doesn't matter if it's different than what you think is right. And I think coming to terms with the fact that most people, there are people that know they're not doing the right thing. But like telling but. someone to like kill yourself and fucking die. I mean, yeah, no. what you see all, and the craziest thing is we're living in the most prosperous time in the history of the, you know, in the last thousands and thousands of years. And people used to have to, even up until hundreds of years ago, I mean, you might just die because you're hungry or you might die because you get sick as a kid. Like they, you know, they'd have 10 kids because four would die. This is even up until hundreds of years ago, and everything's so good. We, you know, we have technology, and we have, you know, medicine, and we we have houses, and we have air conditioning and heat. But it's like some people are they think it's like the things are so bad. And I th- I think it depends on it depends on what like what data that you observe too, and and whether or not it's good or not because like you know, black people shouldn't be getting killed by cops. Like we should, we should figure this out. Like black women shouldn't be at more risk of dying when they have babies in this country. We should figure that out. Um, 98% of rapes happen to women. We should figure that out. Like there's, there are things that like we can say like these, this is how inequality is like, um, or this is how inequality lives. And it's hard. It's hard to sit with something that is this big and is like, this problematic or culturally this problematic and then try to figure out how how do you even approach it and how do you approach it in your daily life and I think everyone's doing it imperfectly and there's just um I guess I just don't um I agree with you that I think that the woke quote-unquote woke warriors um there are 
there are positive things that they are bringing to the table, but also there's more division. And I know some people that claim to be extremely woke that have done some very shady things. And so it's like nobody is above being human well, and, and flawed. And <laughs> the, the thing is, I've, I've witnessed it several times. People do something that, that you know, who's a, who are progressive, kind of, you know, awake people, and they do something wrong or something perceived to be wrong. And they, I mean, no one's safe from it. No. no one's safe. I mean, anybody can be consumed by it. Yeah. And, and honestly, and I, I think, yeah. if, I don't know if you recall, this is, you probably remember this. It was about you know, six months ago. Nat Hers did an article during the COVID about the, the tribal vaccinations and some of the people that were, you know, and, and I mean, I, I had tweeted about that before because I knew some people that were, you know, like younger white people that knew somebody and they were kind of bragging about it. And I was like, well, I don't know if that's, maybe that's good. I don't, I don't know how that works, but you know, he, they, I mean, he got, it was bad. And and I don't think anybody is saying that Nat is, you know, n- not a, pro, you know, like a, I don't want to say progressive, but like, like, like an informed, smart person who's thoughtful. Well, and it's not, the thing too, is it's not just Nat. Like I can read the editor that edited that, like screaming through that. I know who edited it. So it's like, there's and, like, and that, that's what pissed me off the most yeah. because, because I think it was Annie and Julie, I assume that was, but they, Nat took everything. Like nobody ever, and I, I've said that before, I think that was, you know, he wrote it, but it was edited and, and he, but he got, he got, he had to come out and, you know, this is like the, I was watching Bill Maher a few weeks ago and, and back in the Soviet Union, you know, you, you would either be killed or if you weren't killed, you were taken to the gulag. And if you're lucky enough to survive for doing something, not even wrong, but you know, you're a dissident or maybe you, you were accused of doing something wrong, you could be rehabilitated, you know, and we have this kind of same thing where you can, and, and this is not with Nat, this not the right example, but people can be like put out, cast out. And then they can be like rehabilitated if they do the right things. And this time it's not a government. It's, it's kind of a, a peep, a group of, and that's a scary thing. You know, when people are afraid to say what they think or speak, speak what, you know, their thoughts in a society, you can't be free. Well, and I think like this comes down to some of the things that, um, if we talk about those assembly meetings too, I can like, oh, yeah, I want to definitely go into too, that. but like, um, I mean, individualism on itself it's a newer concept like in the history of humans um this kind of individualism where it is like a couple we, hundred, i mean a couple hundred years yeah, like we are darn not thinking like communities and if we thought like communities uh, people can mess up and we're not canceling them because they're in the community so it's like everyone can say sorry everyone can if you can say what you what you think like that's how people learn like you learn by processing this out like externally we still need george to like help us Get good things like wrapped, you know. Exactly. Like George, George messed up. George is going to not do this other thing, but George is responsible for this thing. Or we just love George. George is in our family. Like there's, we don't have, um, we, we have lost the systems that keep, um, keep people better in check and also don't destroy them when they are just human and flawed. And I think we like people know that there is an ability to destroy somebody on, on on that note. You know, for, for a long time, up until, you know, decades ago, you, you had 50, 100 people in your orbit. That's it. Now it's, 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 the, it's billions, could, you know, especially if something happens on Twitter, which, which I always try to tell myself it's fun to go on there and it's kind of entertaining sometimes, but it's not representative at all of, of the real world. I mean, talk to the average person about something on Twitter, even the biggest thing, on, they have no idea. But, but it feels like if you're getting, like in Nat's example, it, it was just fucking piling on all. And I've, it's happened to me too. 
And you know, it's just, it's, you turn the phone off or you put it down, but you still, you're aware of it. And it's, it's, it could be in the worst examples. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. You can't, you can't escape it. So if you were called out on something and you heard the rationale and you were like, I guess I was wrong. Like, would you just say, I guess I was wrong. Like, I'm sorry. Or cause even so now published like a not apology. And I, I love Nat, like I have nothing against Nat. And like that article, I did take issue with some of it, but it's been so long since I read it. So I wouldn't even want to like quote myself on this. But like, um, but like, I think that the apology of being like, whoa, like what I, what I intended to set out to do had this other effect and I didn't foresee it. Whoa, I'm really sorry. Mm-hmm. Like that goes a really long way. And most people, even when they're called out and they've been caught red handed in something, they just don't apologize. And I had this conversation the other day where I was like, when did people just like stop like or or forget how to say they're sorry? Well, this goes you know? back to this goes back to the and I think it's I think when, when an apology is merit it's okay to apologize when an apology is is merited. But this goes back to the to the kind of they want you, they want to get you. And when you apologize, they got you. And this, I think, is depending what it is, right? That, that this this is kind of the totally. I, mean, I, I have a. It's, it's funny you say that. I have a rule. I mean, I mean, I, I'm not going to apologize for hurting you know someone's hurting someone's feelings about something I said. You know, and, and, and unless I did something so mean or bad that you know merits an apology. But I think people they demand you for saying something they don't like. Apologize, or, or, or they say don't you know you need to delete that, or you, you shouldn't say that, or you should remove that. And and when you do it, and people who do it, they they I th- I feel like they know. Oh yeah, we we, we got him. We we won. And or I, her. And I think that might be the case. But I just think like, I mean, for for my part, I like that generally like my opinions have no place in anything. <laughs> so someone can hate a bad photo or hate that I picked to do a story that I did or whatever. But I feel like. Um, I don't know. Like, I guess like that idea that you can really have somebody or that there's this much power that you can have like over the internet. Like this is part of the big problem that we're having, you know? Cause like I would, I understand what you're saying in that if you, if you end up admitting to, to like, Oh yeah, like I messed up there, then they have you. But I also think it's like, like if I saw you do something unethical, I would like probably private message you and I would be like, Jeff, dude, that information's bad info. Like, or like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I probably would be like, buddy, it's bad info. Like <laughs> you gotta, you gotta take that down or you gotta make well, a public but, but apology. That's, you know? that's like, different than, yes. you know, you going on, on public, you know, on Twitter or Facebook and saying, Hey Jeff, you fucking idiot. What, look what you did. You know, right. It's right. There's, there are, there are, re, there are ways to, make change that don't involve vilifying people. And I believe that even people that do heinous crimes don't need to be locked up for the, for lifetime for the most part. Like I feel like we could evolve as a country, like some other countries and be able to actually rehabilitate people. And, um, and that takes this whole, it takes a mind shift. It takes an entire cultural shift. And right now we as a country are really just like, um, the frequency we're operating at just feels very um, it's, uh, intense. It's not good. Mm-hmm. It's it's, and there's this election coming up next year, and then there's, I mean, my my big fear is in 2024, this presidential thing. I mean, it's just there's so much mistrust of institutions, of the election itself, 
and you, I mean, that's, the, I forget who said this, but there's the quote about the Civil War. It's like a third of the country watched another third, a third of the country killed another third and the other third watched because it was so, you know, and I don't know where things are going to end up, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it seems like it, it couldn't, you know, it could end up not good. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think we've hit like rock bottom. Yet. I think, I think in my view and, and, I watch Bill Maher every week, but he did a thing about this, you know, three or four weeks ago about kind of what's going to happen if things keep going the way they are. And I, mean, I think the worst case scenario is if the Republican, whoever it is, loses, especially if it's close, uh, states are already doing this. They're already changing kind of the system, how electors are, are ch- chosen from these independent commissions to the legislatures. I think there's not like a small, I mean, there's there's more than a small chance that you could have competing electors go to DC, you could have states recognize a different president. You could have the military. I mean, this stuff happens. It's not like it happens all the time in, in countries that, that, you know, aren't, aren't even third, like happened in Yugoslavia and, you know, recent up until it was like 30 years ago. And I don't know. I mean, there's so many people I know that have just, they've like, they bought, they buy this stuff hook, line and sinker and smart people and people that I, they aren't, you know, they're, they're educated people. Totally. I mean, people, um, we have, we have as a culture and I think, uh, science made a little bit of a wrong or not science as a whole. Like I, I need to rephrase that, but, um, we as a people have undermined how important belief is as like a central component of like society and culture. And what people believe in now is like, um, like people believe what they believe. There's no telling them any different. And like in the case of, like the pandemic, like there is science. And like, I understand when people are like, I don't trust the vaccine. I don't trust big pharma. I'm like, Hey, I don't, you know, I don't blame you. Like, that's I, a, that's a valid, like people have valid, the, like, the pharma thing's very valid. Yeah. And also like, um, people have had really spiritual reasons for not really believing in COVID too. Like you can't actually aggress somebody and be like, like, why don't you understand this thing? Because I think, um, I mean, and I, I think this probably has always been happening, but the there's this staunch divide constantly between science and, like, belief um, in our culture. And I feel like that is what has been really a big part of what's been happening in the last two years. And, like, the not really respecting that people aren't going to hear science if, like, their belief is X, Y, and Z, you know. Um, so I think we've undermined what how belief functions in society and how powerful it is and how it's not something you can actually just market your way through um, or argue with on the internet. And that tearing people, if you attack someone's belief system and it could be their political belief system, it could be all of these things mm-hmm. and you just attack it, they will safeguard it. Like it's, well, no, you, know. I, yeah, you feel so, so it used to be religion and people are, they're still religious There's an element of that for sure. But like you, like you said a minute ago, it's a lot of it's like politics in some, in some, ways I think has become the religion of some people because they don't have the religion. Maybe they don't go to church. I mean, the church, you know, attendance is down in this country. Um, fewer and fewer people. I mean, there's still majority identifies as, you know, Christian or, or you know, Catholic, but, but it's down. I mean, those numbers are down. And now we have this politics, which is kind of the new, in some ways, religion. And like, I mean, okay. So you mentioned like abortion too. Abortion is this um, perfect example of this. Like, I mean, uh, you know, my personal beliefs are are what they are. Their side, um, but like, when 
I mean, the pro-choice movement is constantly advocating for women's rights and they're arguing for, with very valid points. Like there are women that have needed abortions historically, if they were of privilege, they could always get them. The women who technically would need abortions the most are not privileged. And so like the, when you outlaw abortion or you make abortion more difficult, you're actually still just like continuing an oppression system that already exists. And there's no support to a lot of those women for them to even be able to raise their kids or to keep life. So it's like not even a, like pro-life is the wrong word, I think, um, in a lot of these cases, but George Carlin called it pro-birth. Pro, it's pro-birth. It's pro-birth. Um, but if you, so there are people that will argue, I've heard people argue this way, um, with like pro-choice people arguing with pro-life people and they're arguing on the pro-choice people are arguing on behalf of women and of women's bodies and women's rights. And, you know, my body, my choice, um, you can't control my body, but pro-life people are arguing as though the fetus is its own person already. Um, so they're arguing for their body, their choice. And like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. and the pro like it's impossible to convince that person that the baby is like, as has as much agency as the mother that it's inside. And like, it's, it's, I don't know, that's not where I'm going to spend my time, I guess, like, um, because I don't think that that's, um, I don't think that's how we get anywhere. So I guess like, there's just a lot of, um, a lot of people have a lot of feelings. And if you feel powerless, and women have a lot of right to have historically felt powerless. And um, if you feel powerless, you will fight, um, you will fight. To, <laughs> and that's the response. And so right now, everybody feels powerless in different ways. And everybody's fighting. <laughs> well, this, this is probably it's a good sequitur to those assembly meetings. Recently, the, the mask, you know, mandate the mask wars. You were at a couple of those, right? Yeah, I was there for the times. So we were at all of them. And you were there at one of the one of the crazier ones, right? The I'm trying to think. One, the first one was the craziest. You, or, you were, and I think you were there for the next one too, mm -hmm. right? Because I, I remember I saw you and we were, because the first one you were taking all the pictures. I took pictures of the first and the second one. The yeah. second one, I think I ran into you and we talked a little bit. But mm -hmm. this is one of those things where a lot of those people who are against, you know, the masks or the mandate, I mean, it, it, it was, that was a way to have power or have a voice, especially in a group, kind of almost like a mob situation. And you know, you see them speak and how, how passionate they are. And my thing was a lot of these people, they're on Facebook or the internet or wherever they are, or, or TV, certain, certain news and all day, 24 seven, they're, they're consuming information that tells them this is, this is tyrannical. These people want to put, put us in camps. They, they want to, it's us, you know, they reference Australia, people get, you know, getting arrested and, and you see these things and, and, and this sounds kind of crazy, but they're actually acting rationally because they really believe. And this is a, like the danger of, we used to have the filter, right? Like it was Walter Cronkite or it was NBC or ABC, you know, and there was, and you can argue that was bad because they, they withheld things. Th some things didn't get out. Vietnam is a great example, mm -hmm. but now there's no filter. And that meeting to me, just, I mean, I, I, you've been all over the world. You've, did you ever experience, I mean, have, have you ever experienced that kind of thing in the United States? Like that just really open hostility? I mean, in different, it depends. Like if there's a demonstration, there's like, there's always resistance somewhere. So I feel like there are demonstrations where there's resistance or there's anger or there's feeling. I just mean like, the, um, it, it, felt, it felt like the, it felt like the administration was kind of, if not directly encouraging it, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't against it. 
So it felt like it was almost. You mean the assembly? The the, well, the, the the Bronson administration, the, mm-hmm. the Bronson folks, a few assembly members, but it just felt like it, it was it was almost given the green light by, by it's one of the protests outside is one thing and it's crazy, but that was in an institution that it just kept going and going and going for days and days. And it got a little better some days and it got worse. And, and I can't like tell, I mean, and I agree with you. I mean, it was, I, I don't know if it's encouraged or if it was, um, it was a lot, definitely loud. It was very loud. And I, um, allowed, it was allowed. Oh, it was loud. No, absolutely. It was allowed. Um, but I think, um, and I think part of that also is because there's so much feeling behind this and they knew that and they anticipated it. I think everyone anticipated it to be as, um, maybe not aggressive, but as impassioned as it was. Um, I mean, I think the Bronson administration has made its position clear on a lot of these issues. And it's part of the reason why Bronson was elected because there are people that have, you know, were very angry about the mask mandates and have been angry about the closures and, you know, jobs are a real concern. And Bronson definitely, he, he, he um, tapped into it. He, he he had a passionate movement behind him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, I've said, if you look at Anchorage, you know, you had, you had two, two, two terms of Berkowitz, almost two terms. You had Sullivan, you had Begich, you know, you, you, you had, was it Wirch or my, you know, then before Knowles. So it goes back and forth. I mean, it already, so we were already coming off of two terms of a progressive mayor. And, and then you had the COVID wrapped into it. You had the whole scan, scandal with Berkowitz. Dunbar was seen as a Berkowitz per, person, um, ally. He was already in disadvantage because of the natural progression of the, of the mayor in, in Anchorage. And, and Bronson tapped into this kind of movement, and and he still only barely won. It mm-hmm. was it was it was not by a lot. It was like a percent, right? Maybe maybe it was like a percent or it was very close. So, yeah. So, but but it's 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 it kind of seems like they 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 see it as like a man a mandate, right? And a lot of that. I also just wanted to kind of be like, so this is not this was just a discussion at that point, <laughs> um, but. Again, they they had their belief systems, and there was no way of you know articulating that. And I'm I'm there for the New York Times. Um, a lot of people dislike the media; they're afraid of the media. Um, I had a lot of those comments throughout the night because also I'm wearing a mask, and when people would approach me about it, I'm like, I'm here for the New York Times. I'm on contract. I have to be in my mask. Like so. Well, what they say? Because so, one guy was a couple. One guy was wearing that defund the media, and then he mm-hmm. asked me who I was. And what do you say? What they say? What people say when you say you're with New York Times? Because that's like the. That's like the, you know, right. the bad no. one to a lot of I mean, they'd be like, so why aren't you in New York? And I was like, oh, you know, I've been based here for like 10 years. So I'm, I'm from here. Like kind of like I'm, I'm one of you. I was like, so if you don't like what comes out, you can find me. <laughs> like it's a, <laughs> I'm just always like, I, I didn't fly up. Uh, I didn't fly up. I'm here to stay. And like, um, you know, people would, there was, there was one gentleman that was just like, I love the photo I made of him and his kids uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, but he was outside and he saw me make the photo. And so they were wearing, they had signs that said like my face, my space, but then they're covering their faces with the signs and he's covering the face of one of the babies in this oh, photo because <laughs> he's like, because he sees me making this photo. And then we had this really great exchange because he asked me who I was with and I was told him I was with the New York times. Um, I'm just documenting what's happening, you know? And, um, but we ended up having this respectful exchange where I was just like, I'm like literally just here to document what's happening. So, you know, 
that's it. And he was just like, I know you have to do your job, like you're doing your job. And, and I was like, yeah, it's kind of, it's important for, you what, know. <laughs> when you say New York Times, how many people are like, wow, that's like, I mean, that must be a, a reaction. So some people are wowed. Some people hate New York and they hate the idea of the New York Times. They think the New York Times is rubbish. Um, I, I think I'm usually met with hostility. Like people want to be defensive. I'm not going to ever be defensive back in these situations because also I understand that they have a lot of feelings. They feel that the media has, um, they feel like the media has, distorts things and is biased. And there's, I'm very critical of my industry. I also Wait, say Which this I was going to gonna say, I mean, the media, <laughs> yeah. media is not, I mean, benevolent no. here. I mean, they've, 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 there's plenty of things that have totally. happened, especially in the last, you know, I'd say 10 years that, that make some of those criticisms uh, valid. And I mean, I say that I'm like, I'm highly critical of my industry. I was like, but for my part, the work that I do, um, I approach it with as much objectivity and as like ethics are my like shining. Light, I mean, we we, we, you know? we kind of saw this after Trump won. Everybody was like, like a what the fuck moment. But I read this book, Nixon Land, um, a while back by Rick Perlstein. And there was a whole chapter. Like, so when Nixon won... And in, in 60, he was not supposed to win. I mean, it was just like everybody was because he like lost before he had lost governor of California. He, he was kind of, you know, he'd run for president against Kennedy in 60. He was kind of like done. And and he, he won. And it was it was this kind of silent majority. That's where that kind of came from. It was after, you know, Goldwater lost in 64. So like it was just not supposed to happen. And and um the media that according to the book, they had a big moment of like, what's going on? Like, what are we? How do we miss this? Like what what's happening in the world or in the country? Kind of like with Trump and you know, calling the middle states or the fly, you know, what, what's it, the flyover? What do they call it? Um, and and I think some of that happened, but it seems like maybe it didn't didn't really all the way because some, sometimes there, I, sometimes I get frustrated with with something I I read or see, but but I also appreciate. I mean, it's like I have such an appreciation for the First Amendment and the free press. It's it's you you, you don't you never want to have that go away. That's a scary thought. I realistically just think that honestly, people need to learn how to fact check things. And it's very hard to do that. And also people are already overwhelmed with information and things to do. But I think, um, I also think it's comes down to what we were talking about recently, where like dehumanizing people and just being aggressive is not like a forward way. And journalists are all just people. No one's making bank being journalists. I mean, TV and broadcast is different, and they're also the least accurate. So I, you know, whatever. But <laughs> you should listen to this. I listened to this recent podcast with the Freakonomics. You know, the, the Dubner, and there was a whole thing about media and about kind of how they were covering COVID. And and it was, you know, when COVID was on the rise, they did this big economic analysis, and you know, something like I forget it was like a huge percentage of the articles were negative. But when COVID was like on the on on the on the fall, when the cases were dropping, it was still hugely negative. And they looked at it and they kind of looked at the coverage. Um, but the most fascinating thing was they looked at the coverage also in Canada and like Britain and, and other part, you know, parts of Europe. And they found that in countries like Canada where they have the CBC or in England, the BBC, which are kind of state f funded, the coverage was actually a little better. And they, they kind of, and he even said as like a libertarian, I'm, I'm, it's hard to admit this, but you know, when, when there's a state funded operation, they aren't as concerned about like the, they're like, let's get the fucking headline, you know, with the bleed leads, you know, and, and I thought about that a lot. And this kind of totally privatized media where you want, you know, you need money, you need clicks, you need, you need advertising, you need 
customers compared to like a BBC where, you know, they also want readers, but they're probably a little more, I mean, what do you think, of, what do you think about, about that? I mean, so, um, did you ever read the signal and the noise by Nate Silver? No, but I like Nate Silver, but yeah. I have not read that. Is that a good? It, it is. So, I mean, I th there was one takeaway. I mean, like, I, I read the whole book, so I took several things away. But I think the things that I've hung on to, or the thing that I've hung on to from that book the most, is that he talks about, because um, the whole book is about predicting elections, which is funny because it came out right before he really mispredicted the 2016 one. Cool. But, um, but um he talks about how there's two kinds of, like, pundits or, you know, political figures and um there's the badger and there's the fox the badger always has one clear headline and it's usually really inaccurate but it's one headline that people can hang on to and the fox can't have that because most headlines are inaccurate and the fox is looking at something from a lot of angles so whatever conclusion that the fox comes to is nuanced and that makes it a harder sell for the general population to also latch on to. Oh, yeah. So it's like, but he just talked about this like subtle, we have um, in the way we consume media and specifically around political issues. And it could just be that we're all too busy. Like everybody's too busy to, for so, anything more than a, a, you know, seller headline. What, what, what I've kind of found is, is I do a short two paragraph, you know, something you can read in a few minutes about something happening. You know, I can see analytics, like you can track all this. Those get people read those. They glance at it. It's interesting, depending what it's about. But it's you'll you'll get the kind of the click and the the, the view and the read, the readership. If it's like a really long form, five thousand or ten thousand word, the Campbell Lake one comes to mind. I was just the, about to say the Campbell Lake is probably my favorite thing that you did. Though. It was it's really good. It was it was we we <laughs> you know and then, or the or the Ethan Berkowitz one. Mm -hmm. We broke down that whole scan that we re really dug on that and we got. People are fascinated with it, but th those are really hard to do those ones. If it's like the 1,000, 1,200 word kind of, I, I, they, they just, I don't know, people, it's like the really short, quick to consume, or the really long, like fascinating, deep, you know, compelling story. Do you know what the thing about the Berkowitz scandal, and this is, again, nothing personal about Ethan Berkowitz, nothing personal about anybody involved in this, because also it is hard enough to be a human in the world and then to have all your dirty laundry aired out there. So I want to say that respectfully. But like um, the thing about that scandal that I still haven't really seen said anywhere that I felt was that when I saw her video, um, her first video come up and the, like the breathless from the studio. Yeah. And like saw the first thing come up. I'm, you know, like my judgments aside of like, her current state. Like, I mean, she does seem really upset and I cannot understand why, but my instinct was like something happened, like something has happened and we don't know what it is, but it was not my, I would not jump ahead and be like, that person's crazy. But I watched one woke person after another, specifically in politics, like, come to his defense immediately, come to Berkowitz's defense and call her crazy. And, and we, 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 we observed that it was all the, it was this, it was a team thing and all the, most of the progressive sides. Oh, she's crazy. I mean, she was obviously very upset. She, it was, it was, it was a crazy video. She, she seemed pretty out there, but then you had the people who don't, didn't like Ethan saying, Oh my God, he's, he's this website, this kid, you know, because it was like, it didn't matter even what she said. The substance of what she said didn't matter. It was just people took their, people went to their camps. 
And it was they got in their corners. What was dangerous about this? So this is like the underpinning of rape culture. They without having any information whatsoever. And these are well-respected, woke PC people that would outwardly say they are not interested in rape culture. They are inclusive. They want to include women. They want to include LGBTQIA. They, you know, these are people that would say that, but they called her crazy also. And I'm like, this is how, this is why this continues. This like idea that women, when they are emotional, are crazy um, is is the problem. And also like to know I mean, that like, she, you know. She, I mean, in her case, it was an extreme. It wasn't. Uh, what she was, the claims were were uh, extraordinary. And totally, and it's not it's not okay to threaten somebody like to kill them or to call them a slur on like. And I'm not again. I'm not like even defending anything she did, but the, which, the reaction. Where, which which, yeah. which makes it even worse how some people defend you know and 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 we said this kind of in the we did a podcast about it and we did the the big article where we kind of dug and. The Kreiners, you know, sister of the Kreiners and all the crazy and the sex dungeon lady and the, the OnlyFans escort. I mean, it was just fucking the craziest. This chance meeting with the cookie lady, you know, and, and who had the escort daughter about the cookie business who both hated Ethan. And they go to Kreiners and the voicemail gets left. And then she just can her whole after that, her whole mission was to preserve the Nestle Tollhouse deal. I mean, it's just so it's so wild. But by about Saturday evening. I knew something was going, there was more to it because I was like, I knew, I knew this mayor spokesperson, Carolyn. I mean, I just, nobody was getting back to me. And I'm like, if it was me, everyone's being sued. So I knew there was more. And it's just, it's crazy how this was a chance meeting between two people resulted. And then how, how, you know, Athens hit, hit the Scott centers guy, the, I guess it was the boyfriend or, and then she was in jail. And I mean, you couldn't write something like that. It's, but to me, it's like the whole thing, just like, it's so painful and human and messy. And so like the actual things of, um, like, I'm not condoning violence. I'm not condoning threats to violence. I'm not condoning anything that she did. Um, I'm also like not condoning the people that immediately came to his aid and called her crazy because that supports like widespread violence against women. And I kept all those screenshots of the people making those. Got those receipts. I kept them um, because they, they came down, you know? And I mean, the, there was no statement from the city for what, three days. And then they were, I think there was, there was an initial, uh, that day was kind of like the actions of an unwell person, but it didn't really. Right, but then, but then he didn't. He didn't admit to having any interaction. That was, with her I think, until, Monday. Right. So yeah, that's when I got the. That's when I got the voicemail. That was really, like, wow. wow. There's still people to, to 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 this day. I've seen you see comments out there. There's still people that that like praise her for taking Ethan down. I mean, they're still out there. Right. Which also, I'm it's just not, like, I don't think it's even a small group. It's just such a sad story, and I'm just kind of like to exploit. It just feels so exploitive to. Um... It just it, it it totally highlights because you're right. I mean, people right away took they decided what 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 whose side they were on. It didn't matter what happened, what what she said, what what was true, what was not true. It didn't matter. It just what mattered was whose side you were. I mean, this is just kind of this this hyper partisan culture we live in now. Well, and then it's like so we talked about belief like a little a few minutes ago, but like so then I'm like so what are your beliefs then if you're very quick to call a woman crazy and not believe her when she's making a claim against a man in power, um, regardless of how she appears. Because also women, when they're traumatized in any way, are not going to appear sane. Like no one who's traumatized is going to appear sane. They are an organic biological creature that's going to 
act like an organic biological creature. And so I'm kind of like, again, the step back from him, like, so what do you believe in? Do you believe in like the, the proponents of the left or were you just supporting this person? And then on the other side of it, I'm like, that woman just threatened to kill somebody. How, how like, you know, um, it's, it's really hard to that it's it makes me sad that people took sides in what was a really sad airing out yeah. of like well it's, <laughs> it, it goes back to this you know this rise of conspiracy this I, I think of this pizza gate and you know the the person went there because they thought there was the, the pedophiles and the kid you know with the gun and you know people just see this stuff and it's like oh yeah he's with underage he's absolutely that that checks that checks. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you, I mean, I, I just wonder how we get, do we ever go back to normal kind of more rational? And I, I were we ever normal? I mean, what's normal? I, you know, I, I don't think we were like, like, honestly, women, I mean, women got the right to vote in just the last century. Like, I don't think we've been normal. And I think we are having to come to terms with the fact that maybe the way that we've done some things wasn't right. And that's a really painful process. Like any, Look at any company where they go undergo a change and then like the new people come in and the people that have been there for a long time, they just like, well, we've always done it this yeah. way. <laughs> like, and so I think we're in a painful kind of um, reckoning and transition in a lot of fronts. But the, the, the way that everything has become politicized and health has become politicized and I mean, the, 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 there was a there was a transition, big transition in the 1960s, civil rights. And, and Vietnam, there was all these Nixon. I just wonder, all these assassinations, Medgar Evers, Martin Luther King, Malcolm, I mean, Bobby Kennedy, Robert, you know, all these people were getting assassinated. And, and there was this war and there were these protests and there was civil rights and there was all this shit happening. What would have happened if fucking Facebook was around back then right. or the internet? I actually, the more I've thought about that, I had this epiphany because I was thinking to myself, well, we've had, our country's gone through a civil war, the civil rights, I and mean, we've gone through world war, major things. But if Facebook was around or the internet was around in the 60s amongst all those things, I can't imagine, I just can't imagine there wouldn't have been some kind of civil war or or just, it's already happening now. People are moving. You see these states, people are moving to Texas, Republicans are moving to Texas and Florida. They're, they're you know, they're, they're moving out of California. California, I think New York lost a congressional seat. People are already starting to like self-sort <laughs> themselves. So I, I, I guess, I mean, what do you think if, if there was a social media, if there was the internet around in the 60s? And I can't even imagine Just think because, about it, like. Right. I mean, I think right now this is part of our personal, like, or our country's war. It's like, how do we, how do we navigate, um, how do we navigate things in this, uh, environment where we have dehumanized and depersonalized people and um, we in this country are confrontational and revolutionaries and like the you know the underpinnings of what America is for people like is kind of fighty like how do we how do we move forward in there I don't know um, I think that how we deal with um, how we make progress in the next few years I think we will understand a lot more but um, I mean if you go out, like we, like you said, if you go look at any troll, even in the face, they're the nicest people and people co-regulate one another and like, it's almost, it's almost without exception. Yeah. It's, and so I'm just kind of like, I don't know when we start to 
except that um, nobody knows that much. Like humans really don't know very much in the scope of the universe and the scope of everything. Science, even everything science knows is still like a speck in the universe. And um, I don't know when people start to have that kind of humility, humility just in their mm-hmm. daily lives and in the way that we construct our systems like we have some systems that aren't working for us and this is making that evident i think and i don't know what i, mean, I think about healthcare. I, I you know you have this that's one of those issues where socialism fuck bad but like <laughs> i lived in australia for a year and, and they have a you know single payer well they have a kind of a competitive they have a private as well but they, they have a they have a um, nationalized or socialized system that that actually they spend less than we do per person same in england same in canada and, you know, you go over there and even, even the Australia has a lot of conservative people and you, you kind of talk to them and everybody hates their system. There's always something to hate, but you start to explain kind of our system. And I've had several instances where it's like, oh, I fucking mate, I, how do you ever go in there? Cause it's just like, they don't understand how crazy it is, you know, but that's another one of those issues where it's like any change was socialism. So we can't do it. So we're going to let tens of millions of people just not, or, or even people that are have insurance that can maybe, you know, do okay. They're still having a five thousand dollar deductible, and you know, there's so much, so much out of pocket. Well, I've asked this question too. Like, would we still be in a pandemic if we had socialized healthcare? Like, you know what I mean? Is one of the craziest have, things would we have cared more. <laughs> you know, so I was talking to Dr. Ann Zink, and one of the craziest things is, you know, we have fifty states and with territories and all that, but like fifty systems. If you if you move to Alaska from Illinois, you're, there's no database of the vaccination. I mean, there's, 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 everything's disconnected. Nothing's like, there's no way to share information. They're, they're hiring the national guard in some cases to enter data. And it's like, we live in this great country with all these tech, technology, technological advances and all this great medicine. And there's a lot of people who just can't even go to the doctor. Right. And so again, when people are really harping on people for what they believe or how angry they are about something or how, you know, how we don't understand, I'm like, you don't know what healthcare that person even has. You don't know what yeah. that person's daily life is like. Like everyone has a universe and that's. <laughs> Another one is just a great concentration of wealth. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I believe in capitalism. I'm, I'm a center right person, but, but I mean, I acknowledge that it's, it's when, when a few, when, you know, does sound like Bernie Sanders, when a few, you know, dozen people have more wealth than the rest of the other half, bottom half, like that's not sustainable. That, that, that becomes an oligarchy. But when you talk about, ta- you know, tr- trying to level that out, you're, you're a communist socialist and they have to keep all the money, which, which this has never been this way. I mean, this is a modern in this country. This is the concentration of wealth has never been like it is right now, but it's another one of those. It's like you have the AOC, you know, the AOC side, just fuck them, you know, take all their money. <laughs> That's an extreme example. Then you have the other side, you know, lower the rates, give them all the money. Yeah. It's, um, it's just really sad that everyone has a ra- has a reason for why they believe what they believe, and that's also <laughs> just. But sometimes, know. and this, this, I don't mean for this to sound bad, but sometimes people have reasons to believe what they believe, but they aren't informed reasons. Absolutely, and that's a absolutely. That's kind of what I mean when I say it that way. I mean, if yeah, if you if you have, you see these things sometimes on TV. You see some PhD person who's spent their whole career do, doing something or work, and they're next to somebody who basically is just a talking head who just. And they're kind of next to each other and, you know, maybe the PhD person isn't as well-spoken or maybe they get caught up and they look dumb. Other person on the TV, they, you know, sounds pretty good. 
Totally. It's the, it's the badger and the fox. It's I like that. What's that book? Uh, the Signal and the Noise. The Signal and the Noise. Great title. I'll have to look. Nate, Nate Silver. It's a really quick read. I I think I read it maybe four years ago. and like, But that is what I've walked away with. I've got a book club <laughs> I started a year ago. So maybe we'll... You should join. Yeah. We have a great great group, core group. We meet once a month. The Zoom. Cool. It's pretty good. Got I'm some, a reader. Got so. some good books we've, we've picked. All nonfiction. Yeah. We're a nonfiction. I did, though, just get a book that I don't read fiction very often, but American War. It's about, have you heard of this? It's about a, basically, I think, I haven't started reading yet, but it's like 2070. It's kind of the aftermath of the Civil War in America based on like climate. And it's like told from the perspective of a, of a person who kind of grew up in this, like, so, you know, I heard it was really, a friend recommended it. So cool. I think it was written before the COVID. So it's the COVID. The COVID. <laughs> so the last thing I wanted to ask you, we talked about this before the podcast, but I asked you about pictures and where you go and, and I kind of, because you do the Arctic, I said, have you been to Russia? You haven't been to Russia. Mm-mm. And I kind of said, well, you know, Arctic and, and you know, subpolar, um, you could just go to, you know, Russia and take some pictures. But you said something really interesting about kind of the pictures, not just what you take, but what you don't, don't include, right? Right. And I mean, what I, I'm like to listeners, what I said to Jeff was that like, um, I, I do work that I feel uniquely qualified for. And that's, I'm sometimes an outsider culturally, but it, it will be within a culture that I have a frame of reference or I have a deep kind of knowledge with. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're just sending me to Russia, like I don't know what I'm looking at because I honestly just, you, no matter how many books I've read, I don't know what I'm seeing. In the, I can't contextualize what I'm seeing in the same way. And photography is an act of omission. It is a, it, it is something within a frame. You are framing something and containing something in a certain way. And if, for my personal gauge, um, is that when I'm making frames, I'm asking myself, what am I leaving out? And does it change the narrative? Does it take away information that would be valuable for you know, a viewer. I make a lot of very wide photos and a lot of very layered photos for that reason. I want to have as much information in a frame as possible. And, um, and that's how I came up in photojournalism and that's how I was taught. But, um, but so if I just went to Russia and made photos, like they wouldn't mean as much as somebody who knows the culture and knows, you know, if they, they'll know what that painting on that wall actually mm-hmm. means or what it signal, signals in terms of wealth or in terms of, you know, class or like culture wars or whatever. But they're, but I'm not going to know that stuff unless I go spend another 10 years there. And so, you know, um, my kids are old enough now that I will start to have an international base in the next, as soon as COVID feels like it's a little bit chiller. Um, <laughs> Um, in addition to Alaska, and that's kind of a way of like, um, I'm mentoring a group of really wonderful, like photographers here now. And I feel like I've spent so much time here and I'll always make work here, but it's time to like, kind of get to know another place really intimately, but it's the same thing. Like I shouldn't be sent on assignment somewhere. Um, right when I show up somewhere, I need to do my own research and my own work first and like need to know that I'm going to do the story justice. And otherwise I'm just an imperialist that's just showing up and I'm like, I'm like, look how cool I am. I can travel here. And I like, uh, you know, and it's just like, I don't know. Like I do what I do cause I find meaning in it. And yeah. What, 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 uh, what, what, what is, how's the, how's, I'm going to say the COVID, how, how's the, co- the COVID affected you? I mean, have you just, did you not do a lot of work or were you doing local work or? I mean, I worked, I have continued to work throughout the pandemic and, um, I pivoted, in certain ways, last year, I have a son who is immune compromised. So the 
like he cannot get a respiratory infection. He will end up on a ventilator. So like cool. my, the way that we've had to behave and getting vaccinated felt great for us. Um, and again, people have all their reasons for to do that or not do that. And that's not my business, but what, for, what, <laughs> what did you get? What's that? Um, Pfizer. I'm team Moderna. Oh. I actually wanted Pfizer, but much later I was kind of happy I got Moderna because apparently it's a little better. Yeah. Efficacy. I mean, I took, I took what I took. <laughs> I, I don't took think anybody had an option. I, no. I just, <laughs> Showed up and they were like, here's your vaccine. They were like, this is what you're getting. You're getting pee. I'm just um, glad I didn't get that J and J. I'm the, I don't want that J and J. <laughs> just, I'm like, no comment. I don't even know if it's like bad, but it just, they, 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 they had a really bad marketing problem. I mean, J and J, their marketing. Jeez. I, yeah, I'll have no comment except to say their marketing did suffer um, or did have some <laughs> the, the, holes the, in the, it. The, the, the blood stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> Poor Jad Johnson and Johnson. It's like still like, like six out of a million or something. It's like... Oh my God, my friend got it. He's like, fuck. <laughs> he's like, fine. <laughs> he's like, how'd you get that fucking Moderna? I was like, I showed up. Yeah, I showed up. I got Pfizer. I got. But so anyway, so last year, like, you know, I we were just so careful. And um, at my co-parents and I, like, we would take really long quarantines after we did any work anywhere. So there was just, um, like, before we could see the kids again. So it was really difficult and challenging to try to, like, keep the kids from getting COVID and, um, and continue to do work. And I, I felt really committed to just doing work in Alaska, uh, like for the last two years, it's the, our state has really specific, interesting, like qualities to it and geographical complications. And it has felt like some sort of public service to just be focusing on what's happening here. And, um, I've seen, you've gone to like way up North, you've, you've mm -hmm. been there pretty wild, like remote places. Yeah. I just, I mean, and I was just traveling last week. It's just like, there's, um, in any case, I, I felt like it's, uh, I have not been that interrupted by the pandemic, but, um, but I did like start a mentorship program that the Anchorage museum has funded and that's wonderful. And that has been really rewarding. I like teaching. Um, so I did things like that. Um, doing a mural with Ted Kim, which what? Oh, <laughs> I know. Um, but no big, no big deal. Just, I mean, Ted's Ted's really doing the mural, but I mean, I I made the photo for it. <laughs> but in any case, um, so I've kept working, and it's just been a little different um, here and there. It's been a lot of COVID coverage. I've run away from COVID coverage at every opportunity, and I've gotten to tell some other really interesting stories. But I mean, everything in this time is tied to this pandemic, and so it feels. I don't know if you're a documentarian in this time, like you have plenty to document, so shouldn't be running low on work. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, you know, we've I started the landmine four years ago in October. So this, you know, I guess last it's November 1st, but um, I've always tried to focus on the, with the landmine. It's like things that other people aren't really focusing on. So I've done some co, you know, recently, maybe more recently we've done with, with Paxson, but like when I was in Juno and I mean, other than kind of initially the first case maybe, or, some th things I've really tried to just not even because everybody else it's all they do like every day ADN breaking break it's every day I get an even breaking it's I mean, how can it be breaking if it's every day well and I had a breakdown with um not a not a real breakdown but I, I had a lot of really meaningful stories couched around like kind of just a basic one where I needed to make photos of like people getting shots people getting tested people like the same stuff like we've been reinventing the wheel on like visually since this started and I <laughs> I I told my editor, I was like, I need a few more days. I honestly am just like maxed out. And I just am 
so tired of making these images. I'm so tired of seeing them. I don't even know what good we're doing with them at this point. And um, I called him one a mentor of mine. And I was just like, I just feel like there's like th this just isn't even meaningful to me at this point. Like this part of the pandemic, the things that would be helpful to be documenting are all in hospitals and there's a lot of red tape and so you know, know i've tried i've tried so hard i've talked to so many people about especially when they were when it was really getting bad and the crisis and you know i, I i've i told some of the hospital people i talked to i said look people don't believe you i'm sorry they don't believe you it's not just you they just don't they're skeptical of when someone says something believe us i was trying to get in there you know i did the i overnighted at the sullivan a few months ago and wrote about that and that was quite an experience and you know I, I but they I, you can't do it and it's they won't let you for whatever and there's been tv shows in emergency rooms I mean it's not unheard of I said we wouldn't even film I'll, I'll just follow a doctor around for for a shift and I have not been able to get in any hospital and I'm not I'm not at all saying they're they're overselling it but it's frustrating that we you know independent people aren't allowed to go in there and, and have a look and you'd think if it was me like come on in <laughs> look at how fucked up it is I mean, and the press people that I've talked with at the hospitals, like they're all sympathetic and they're all like they're all working within, you know, their own administrative processes and bureaucracies and stuff like that. So I know it's not even just them, but it's like, I mean, there's there's ways to tell stories still, um, but they all require um, like there was discussions about having, you know, what if um, I give my camera to an ICU nurse and like I train that ICU nurse within, you know, 10 minutes or so how to use it. And I'm on a phone with them externally mm -hmm. and they are making images because they have access like with families that want their story told or, you know, and specifically families that want their story told. I don't want to tell someone's story if they don't want it. That's another whole side <laughs> part. Um, unless it's an expose, I have no, I don't care. I don't want to tell their story. But so um, we got, we were talking about it and we got that far, but the problem still for me would be the, what are they omitting? And what am I not, you know what I mean? There, it becomes an ethical issue where I'm like, well, if there's something that's going to make the hospital look bad at this angle, they're naturally sure. going to omit it. And so I can't even do that. Like, I can't trust, like, it's not, um, it breaks my, my ethics barriers with journalism. So it's like, I mean, I mean, really the only way to do it is to go in there and you're sick and then you're kind of lying. Like with the Sullivan arena, I don't know if you saw, I, I went in there and I did a, I tweeted the whole thing, but then I did an article. I mean, I was in there basically as just like anybody else. I mean, I told them I was doing it, but nobody, even when I walked in, nobody knew. Like, I was just a person staying at the, so I saw it all. I saw that somebody have an overdose. I saw the craziest shit you wouldn't believe. Like, just, and it was the real experience. So, I mean, I've actually thought about, well, maybe I go to the hospital, I'm not feeling well, and I just kind of go in and observe on a Friday night. Or, and, I mean, I, but then you don't know if it's like one day, maybe it's cra crazy busy, and then maybe we go on another day. I had one, a friend, somebody call me a few month, month ago and say, oh my God, my, my, my cousin was at the hospital. Nobody was there. Everyone's lying. I said, well, one day in one moment in time, I, I don't know. Well, I'm, I mean, the ERs aren't necessarily even the places that are busy though. And like some hospitals have right, just come forward and right. said that because like a lot of people are not going in. This was a, this was some of the messaging that I think the hospitals have been trying to get out there is that a lot of people aren't seeking healthcare, like, or things that they need to get seen because they're afraid of COVID. And like, they're trying to be like, no, like we have space for you. We have space for you. It's just that, um, you know, their ICUs are over 
capacity or like these other parts of their hospital are over capacity, but, but for people to just come in and get things taken care of so they don't end up in an ICU, like they should do that. And so, yeah, anyways, I think, I, yeah. I did a, a, a video interview with Matt Tomter, you know, the Matt Nusker Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. It's a conservative. He's supporting Bronson against Dunbar, against the lockdowns. He did a post. This is a month ago or maybe more. He, he got appendicitis and he was in horrible pain, drove himself to the hospital. There was one bed left in, uh, in regional it, and he, he wrote about how, how he saw this as like, yo, this is a, so I interviewed him about it and it was really, I mean, I, that was kind of a way to get a glimpse of, cause he was in there for a couple of days and, you know, this is not some kind of progressive, you know, and, you know, person, this is a guy who was like for Bronson and against all the lockdowns. And, and he said, you know, look, this is, I'm not saying I'm not pro-vax anti, I'm just saying this is, I saw him with my own eyes, how, how big of a, a lot of COVID people were in there sick, one bed left. I mean, I got access to something that I honestly wouldn't have gotten access to if the patient themselves hadn't reached out and asked me to come in and then honestly asked, like said emphatically that they wanted me to come in. And so it's somebody I already knew. And I've disclosed that in my like caption information too. So mm-hmm. if there runs like it's out there that I already knew this person. But, um, you know, I walked into a room with 30 active COVID patients in it. They're all real, like they weren't all really sick. Some of them were not sick in a visible way at all. Some people were really sick, but it's like like ventilators or um, not in ventilators yet. They were all getting like treatments. They were getting like the IVs. They were like you know, um, so they're in the phase of like trying to prevent the real sick. But was it like lines of beds and like separate like like a movie or something like just like yeah, just like you know, like sheet separators and like um, you know practitioners and just like full ET. What hospital? Nowhere. I won't say. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> and we'll see. We'll see. Trying to get the good stuff. <laughs> I know. Have you done an article um, yet? Or so, um, I just shot this this last week. So, oh, and, wow. and so Ooh. that was like, but so that was like a part of like, um, you know, I at the very basic, at the most basic level, I was like, this is something that's happening. Um, People are sick. This is what it looks like, I guess. I do think people need to see things. We live in a physicalist society. People want to see the thing for them to believe it. And that's, um, that's what I was saying earlier. Absolutely. You need to sh- be able to show people. And every time, so this is for anybody who also doesn't know this, but like if you're making a photograph at a hospital, like you go through the media team, the media team is there with you. It's like part of the, like the hospital policy. And if you're going to make a photograph of, say, the outside of the hospital facility, you have to wait till all people, including vehicles, are not visible in front of the hospital because of HIPAA. So every time I make a photograph of a hospital during COVID, it looks like no one's there. <laughs> it's like a complete dead, dead do you, zone. Now, do you say that? What, that every, that I've had to like. In the article, are you like, hey, there, we have, we can't take pictures of people? It's like, it, like, it'll either, some captions will include that, like, you know, like photographer had to wait for X, Y, and Z, but a lot of times they don't because it's like just a photograph of the facility. So people have an idea of what it looks like. But to me, there is this like danger of like, hey, there were actually a lot of people coming through here, but yeah, no one's there. Look, it's empty. But we had to wait. Exactly. And so like, um, it's been very hard um, when people were talking about the bodies of people being in trucks in New York early on in the co in, yeah. in the pandemic, I was like, where are the photos? Like, that's like what, um, I remember that it was, there was plenty of, com- Oh, there's no, this is made up. This is fabricated. I mean, I was even kind of like, I just didn't know what you just told me that about the pictures. I, you know, I was like, well, where, yeah, where, where are they? 
But right. that's a good point. I mean, you be pretty insensitive to photograph a bunch of dead bodies. Well, and it's breaking it. Well, right. And like, then you could be breaking that federal law that we have. Um, so it's just like the, like HIPAA is one thing. So um, patient has to give consent um, for you to be able to do that. And then like hospital permissions is the other thing. And that's the facility. They're, you know, mitigating their risk. Like This is why you got to go gonzo. <laughs> this is why, you know... <laughs> I mean, if the bridge is worth burning, you can burn it. And I, I, I live by that a little bit, but I think. I love that. <laughs> Say that again. If the, if the bridge is worth burning, you should burn it. It's just that I think I like. that. <laughs> yeah, you would. <laughs> um, but it's like in these cases, like. But, th- but then you're marked. Then you're marked. And like, also, is this the, is this the, um, the hill I want to die on? Yeah. Like, I don't think so. Like, cause I also think that like everybody is just trying to protect themselves and protect each other. And it's like, when, when would you, have you ever gone like undercover? Have you ever gone into a situation where you're not identifying yourself as a photojournalist? I, the only way that I would really put myself on the line is if there is an egregious abuse of power and I can expose it and it's important because it's like harmful to people and so in those mm-hmm. like that um and you know there are subtle abuses of power that i feel like i photograph like regularly but it's not the same as being like i'm going to like break into this place and i'm going to like show what's happening um because one i don't think that's typically how my work goes i don't think that's who i am as a journalist necessarily like i think i'm trying to tell a more like human narrative so that's like, you know, there's so that there's like historical importance of that. But that said, if I'm in a place, if it happens that I am in a place and there is something happening and I need to burn a bridge because I know ethically that it, I need to make the photo, I'll make the photo. Have but, you ever taken a picture somewhere in some in some place where whoever whoever was there was like, give me the fucking camera. You're, you're not using that. I mean, I've had people try to take my camera. Um, that's been more than once. Um, I've had... Just like a random person or somebody who has like a, some power or some... People people in positions of power have tried to take my camera. It has never happened successfully or... Um, wow. Um, so that has happened. It's never been like I'm just with this one person though. Because if I was, then, you know, who knows what would happen. But, you know, there's always somebody else and I'm always going to like... They didn't, a, they didn't like the picture? Um, didn't want me making photos there. Um because they don't even know what I'm making photos of most of the time. Like, you know, I don't know. I feel like I'm pretty, um, I don't know, not intimidating, like, as a person. So when people are intimidated by cameras, there's a reason, too. Um, there was one facility I was photographing in in the lower 48, which I guess I won't name yet. But um, the way that they, um, the facility was trying to manhandle me, and micromanage what I was able to shoot and what I wasn't like, and blocking access at points that like it didn't. Was it a government or a private facility? It's a private facility, um, but the way that they were blocking access in a way that similar facilities never would even think to. Like I, I was frustrated, and I feel like I'm so agreeable, and I want I don't want anybody to actually have a bad experience with me because I'm like I'm not here to I'm not here to get you like and if I was here to get you you wouldn't even see me <laughs> like so it's like I try to it's, it's just like it has the opposite what people don't realize is maybe they're trying to really hide something but it has the opposite effect because then you start thinking like what the hell's going on over there well and they were hiding something and so I when I called one of my mentors at the times and I I was just like exhausted and I was like I don't understand and the the level of aggression that they were actually um like pushing me like pushing my physical body trying to take my gear um meanwhile I'm doing a story that is really important to the people that I'm documenting it's like there's 
there were so many feelings that I had and it was exhausting. And, um, and I called my mentor and I was like, I just don't understand why I, like my access is getting blocked like this. He's like, you're going to understand. You won't understand until something else breaks or until you see the thing. Um, Did you figure it, eventually figure it out? Oh yeah. No. And they were, they had a major cover up. It's a medical facility and they were having a, they were trying to cover up a major problem that put a lot of patients at risk. Oh. And so it's like, did you f- figure it out or somebody else? Oh no. Like doctors like came forward. So and the hospital ended up coming forward. So like no one figured it out, but I think it was because internally there were enough medical professionals that were like, this is a problem. Like, <laughs> so it's like, it came out on its own, but like, that is why they behave that way. Would and you have been able, was it a thing that you would have been able to notice or see or no? I think I would have been able to notice or see it, or I think I would have made a photo and then later, Somebody went, yeah. later when this news came out, because they had to know it was going to come out, like then they there would be evidence, like additional so it's, evidence. It's, it's incredible to me, I've been doing this only four years, but the amount of times people think they can cover something up. But but somebody told me something really interesting, uh, a lobbyist, and I've, I've said this many times, I mean, people think lobbyists are these shady, lobbyists are my favorite people. Now, there's some exceptions, but they're smart. <laughs> they know what's going on. They're actually very, on- most of the ones I deal with are very, on- they tell you very upfront. Here's my, here's why I'm talking to you. This is, did you hear about this? Here's my angle. I mean, they, they, they're, it's kind of very transparent people, but one lobbyist, and this is kind of how, how I've gotten so good at figuring out what happens in Juneau, because I'm not sitting in some office all day and, and you know, some working for some legislator. I'm, I'm talking to people that I'm talking to all the lobbyists and many of them are legislators and staffers and they know how the where the levers are and how to pull the levers and they teach you all this stu- teach me all this stuff uh i feel like a 101 201 301 kind of but one of them told me something interesting i said to him one day i said i said it's crazy how some i forget what the story was but i figured something out that was like it was it was a pretty bit what the hell was that it was something somebody was trying to cover up that was not a small thing and and i think i got it through like a records or i got a tip or I, I i ended up figuring it out but I said, you know, it's fucking amazing how, how often these people think they can get away with this stuff. And I'll never forget this. He said, Jeff, because they get away with it 90% of the time. And I, and I like thought about that for a second. And I was like, you know, you're probably right. Like, so how much do we know, whether you're covering politics or, you know, business or whatever, that never, that never gets told? Or how much do we know that's, you know, that, that, that's, that's, how much do we not know? And I think it's probably a lot. I mean, people want to believe the truth. Have you have you read um, any of Malcolm Gladwell's? Stuff? Oh yeah, well, our book club. We did we did um, David and Goliath a few months back, the, and then I've read uh, what is it? Um, Outliers is a good one, and Tipping Point. Talking to strangers or talking with strangers. That was his like last one, unless anyone's come out in the last. I think years, he, bomber the bomber mafia bomber mafia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know about the World War Two? That was an, I haven't read that one, but that was about all the the basically the bombing of Europe. By the generals. And that was recent. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty recent. Yeah, I think it's called the Bomber Mafia. That was what they were called. The um, the Talking with Strangers one, he talks about like how um, people are wired to believe things. And so there was this person that was obviously a spy <laughs> in the CIA. And even like with all of these red flags that kept happening, they kept like not figuring it out until like it was really figured out but it was like so even in a place where you would assume that people are really investigating their internal stuff or questioning it they weren't so it's like i don't know it's interesting because i also feel like in this time a lot of people aren't that way they're actually not trusting at all (laughs) yeah i i I think for 
for, for every kind of big scandal that comes out or some big story about some legislator or some elected official, there's probably 10 more that we just don't know about because, because you don't find it, you can't figure it out. They've, 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 they've successfully covered it up or they've hit it. You know, I, I had a friend, Austin Barrett, you know, Austin Barrett, mm-hmm. he's used to work for the channel too. He got a, he works for the house majority now, but he used to work for Walker. He took a job with Walker in like 20, I think 16. And I'd known Austin for a long time. And I asked him, I, I go, I think he'd been there for like a month or something. And I said, what's it like? You know, you go from the reporting side to the press secretary side. And I'll never forget this. He goes, he goes, I, I've learned, he's like, I've seen more in a month that, that I would have seen and like been exposed to in like years of, of reporting. Cause you see everything, you know? So, so like, it's like two sides, right? And you're on this side and you're trying to get the information and they don't want to give it to you. And information's currency and they might give you a little piece of something and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of wild. Totally. I also think that's why there's like, you know, there's political reporters like that are dedicated to political reporting because they end up getting more ins just by being in the thick of it, you know? Like Juno, I mean, I've gotten a lot of shit from other reporters about this, but I mean, I go out, I go to the bars, I, you know, hang out with lobbyists, legislators, staffers, we get drunk and, you know, and I'm, a lot of people think that's like, I can't believe you're doing that. I'm like, that's where I get all the good stories. That's like the best story. Somebody's had a few drinks. They might, oh yeah, this happened, you know. And then you're like, whoa, what? So don't drink with Jeff Landfield if you. Or do drink with Jeff Landfield. Hide. And, you know, people get a little loose. They get a little, little, little chatty. Well, it's been an hour and a half. Normally, I do these things like thirty minutes, but we got to do another one of these. Ash, you're. I know we have. You're we get... you're smart. <laughs> you're also just a really just easy to talk to, and you we can talk about. I feel like I can talk about anything with you. I mean, I feel the same. I feel like we're just. We need to start a show or something. Okay. Whoa, whoa, really? <laughs> I'm <leap>. like, I, <laughs> I'm like the opinionless person. <laughs> I don't think that's a fair characterization. Well, Ash Adams, it's been great. We covered a lot of topics. Thanks so much for so, having me. This was fun. This was great. Yeah, I, we'll do it again. And uh, if folks want to, you have a website, right? I saw you. Yeah, I'm ashadamsphoto.com. Um, I rarely update that. My Instagram is the easiest place to see what I'm up to. Okay. What's so, just Ash Adams on? Ash Adams photo. I, I Googled you earlier and I found an Ash Adams filmmaker. Yeah, that's I was that's like, is that, that's a man. I was like, what is this? And have you ever you've gotten that before, I think? Or? Uh, I've never been mistaken for him, but, like, um, I know he exists. He has a Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, I know. Last thing I want to ask you before I forget, what's your most favorite picture you've ever taken? Do you have, like, one that oh. – or is that a hard one? Oh, honestly um... – if you don't, no big deal. I know you've taken. I, I honestly many. feel like it's going to be a really personal one. Like there's a few very personal ones that are just my personal life, and I cherish them for certain reasons. I made this um, self portrait. My daughter's birthday is in a week, so. Um, but I made a self portrait of her right after she with her right after she was born, and um, I don't make a ton of self portraits of myself either. So this is like, you know, its own moment. But um, that's a photo I come back to almost every year, and I like am re reminded of why photographs are important and it's like because time actually moves very quickly and the changes are really documented in every single photo I make right now in a hundred years this is going to be the old time photos you know these are just going to tell about a time that is really different than the time will be in a hundred years yeah absolutely so I'd say a photo like that or something of when my children are small those are like the ones that remind me of why photographs are really important documentary tools. Nice. That's a, that's a good answer. 
thanks. My favorite one is the one you took of me and Fourth Avenue. I mean, that's my second favorite. So that's I a great one. That's... <laughs> okay, Ash Adams. Well, thanks for, for coming on. We'll we'll do it again. Great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so one, much. One of my more uh, my, 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 my more favorite podcasts. So we'll uh, we'll do it again. Thanks so much. All right, folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.